This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property or at least as much as we can squeeze into this relatively short show format. However, it is a bit of a summary for articles that you can find elsewhere with regards to uh, the likes of news media and reporting through real estate channels. So, however, I like to bring it to you here, nicely packaged and preferably relevant to our regions. So, What's really relevant this week is that the monthly property report has just come out by the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, which talks about the changing face of the housing market and the national median house price in the last year to November has gone up 24% or 23.8% to be specific to 925000 In Auckland, it's up 26% to $1.3 million for a median house up there. I don't know how anyone can actually afford that. But these are the stats, nevertheless. And New Zealand, outside of Auckland, the remainder of the market, you could say, up to a median of 775, which is a 20% increase year on year. So how's it looking around here? Well, Manawatu Wanganui still performing very well, 24.8% increase, median house price up to $630,000. And that's approximately $10,000 a month that the median house has gone up in a year. So for many people, that would be more than what they earn uh, for a salary. So it's like having an extra breadwinner or two in the house. And it can be good to try and use some of that equity that the house builds up to look at investing again and making that money work for you. But enough about that. Uh, Gisborne also up close to 30%. Auckland 26 Canterbury over 30%. And West Coast around 40%. So what I've noticed in the national media, and I've mentioned this before on the show, is they're no longer reporting national median price increases because I think it looks a bit bad for the government. So they're only talking about monthly increases now, a bit of a change of rhetoric. For example, it sounds much better to say that the country's gone up 3.2%. That's New Zealand median house price outside of Auckland, but that's just for a month when really for a year it's 26%. So uh, they stopped reporting those a little while ago. Also in the news quite a lot lately has been that the rate of uh, the house price rises may drop. Uh, And just to clarify that, that means that they will still keep going up, just not at the same rate potentially as that they have been. Another thing that was interesting is that properties under 750,000 in November of 2021 that made up only 32% of sales were below 750,000, whereas one year ago it was over 50%, so it's down to 32% as those prices move up. And now almost 44% of all houses sold in the country are over $1 million. So what's been happening here? Well, Jen Beard from the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, the CEO, 
says that the Manotu Wanganui market has been performing well. However, the impact of COVID-19 and new regulations are expected to hinder sales volumes over the next few months. First home buyers are struggling with the price of properties and the higher deposits required, along with the reintroduction of loan-to-value ratios. Banks are restricting their lending and some pre-approved buyers have seen their pre-approval cancelled. And I've seen this in a number of uh, places in my travels where people had pre-approved finance, but then when they've gone to confirm that, they've been unable to go unconditional as the criteria has changed. So as we head into the holiday period, of course, the buyer numbers may decrease further before reviving in the new year. But uh, I was talking to a team of uh, real estate salespeople this morning and uh, you just don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people that might take the fact that they can travel out of Auckland now and come down here and look at buying properties. We'll just have to see how that goes. So record median prices in particular in Wanganui district up to 570 from 442 and Ruapehu up to 465 from 275. Really significant changes there. Uh, the one in Ruapehu, for example, is almost 70% increase in house values in that district. So let's look at a bit of local news now. And more public housing is in the pipeline for Palmerston North, which is great news. I've long thought that we need to be building uh, public housing in mass numbers in order to help cool the market as things move upwards. This article says that Palmas North is to get another 120 state houses by the middle of 2024. Housing Minister Megan Wood said the new clusters would be built in Rugby Street in Awapuni, in Central Church Street and in Wharanui Street in Roslyn. So Kainga Ora was talking to people in those neighbourhoods about the planning and design of the housing and expected to start building in the second half of 2022, just next year. The housing provider also bought a central site in Cuba Street near Central Energy Trust Arena for $1.8 million and was exploring options for a median density housing development. That would be cool. Wood said the Rugby Street development was an example of better using existing land to provide more housing. At least 50 new homes are going to be built in the area there in Rugby Street, replacing nine. So that's the sort of stuff that we need. There'll be a mix of sizes from one-bedroom to five-bedroom family homes. It'll also be a community centre on-site to serve the tenants and the surrounding neighbourhood. Now, interestingly, this sort of thing is done overseas uh, quite a lot. And uh, I know when I lived in Europe, you'd have a, I don't know, you could call it a low-rise, three- or four-storey building accommodating many people, and you'd have a number of those buildings. And then in the middle, you'd have a common area with uh, gardens and grounds, uh, place recreational places for those people to go and it's a really good model to fit more accommodation onto a smaller piece of land. Megan Wood said the new housing was an addition to the 80 new homes already developed in the city since the beginning of 2020 including five new homes in Raleigh Street which would be ready for families to move in before Christmas. Wood said there had been a decline in public housing over many years a trend which was being turned around. So she says the Labour government has provided 8,608 homes, including 6,811 new homes, and then there's an extra 2,938 transitional homes had been added. Of course, she's putting her spin on it, but she says the government believes everyone deserves a warm, dry home, whether they own or rent. I mean, it's hard to uh, argue with that, of course, because I absolutely agree too. And all new Kainga Aura homes have a Homestar 6 ratings, so meet high insulation and environmental standards, which is great. Get people out of the... Older ones that were built at a time when uh, the construction meant they could be rather cold, etc., and unhealthy, to 
getting them into the new new homes, and that's a great thing for all of us. Just down the road a little bit, uh, Horofenua. This article from Adam Blackwell and stuff says, Horofenua renters faced with severely unaffordable market. Horofenua has the highest percentage of income being spent on rent in the country, with some spending half their earnings just putting a roof over their head. So Dot Loves Data spokesman Justin Lester said Horofenua had an average rate of 40% of income spent on rent as of July this year. Lester said both lower incomes in the region and increasing rent prices were contributing factors. I think this is probably only going to get uh, more of a factor as the roads are being built up from uh, the various highways are being built north from Wellington. Prices were bound to go up. Low-medium household income and its proximity to Wellington means rental prices are increasing well. Nearby areas, Kapiti and Palmas North, were at 34% and 30% respectively. Lester said about 30% was normal, but ideally no more than 25% of household income should be spent on rent. He said Wellington had a huge effect on Horofenua with people from the capital able to have buy property due to having higher incomes, and that pushes prices up for residents, and it was only going to increase when Transmission Gully opens. It'll be early-ish, fingers crossed, next year, or desperately squeezed in, uh, this is in the pretty unlikely, just before Christmas this year. But Transmission Gully, by the sounds of things, it's probably a very slight chance this year, but, but certainly next. Housing Minister Megan Wood said the government was aware of the impact Wellington was having on areas such as Horofenua. We know Wellington's growth has a knock-on effect for housing, transport and economic development in the Wairarapa and Horofenua regions. So it's really, in response to this, the Wellington Regional Growth Framework, a joint spatial plan for Wellington, Wairarapa and Horofenua, has agreed some growth areas. The plan anticipates accommodating 200,000 extra people in the region in the next 30 years. So really in- interesting there and a little bit closer to home. The percentage of income going on rent was higher in two parts of Horofenua particularly. In Fox it was 45% and Shannon 51%. So really quite, uh, man, that must be tough for those households. Another other news of things being built, this article by Debbie Jameson says that government may allow plans for $1 billion Queenstown development to be fast-tracked. The first stages of a $1 billion Central Queenstown Development, one of the town's largest construction projects, is being considered for government fast-tracking. The Lakeview-slash-Taumata development is a residential hospitality and retail precinct planned for a 10-hectare former campground site in central Queenstown. Once completed, the development, which sits near the shore of Lake Wakatipu, will accommodate up to 1,500 people, more than 500 apartments, affordable co-living units, three hotels, public reserves and a new plaza. It's amazing if you get to see a picture of what this looks like. Again, the article's on stuff.co.nz under Debbie Jameson. It's owned, the site's owned by the Queenstown Lakes District Council and being developed by a consortium uh, including 94 feet, Centuria Capital, which used to be Augusta Capital, and Brito Mart Hospitality Group. It aims to be an exemplar of sustainability, incorporating European-inspired mass timber construction in place of concrete and steel. So the Fast-Tracking Consenting Act was introduced in 2020 as a response to the damage the COVID-19 pandemic was having on the economy. It blocks the public from resource consent process to speed up projects that create jobs and stimulate the economy. So the consortium behind the Lakeview development believe fast-tracking could speed up the process by 12 to 18 months. 
A report by Insight Economics found the benefits of the Lakeview project included a one-off boost to GDP of $930 million and an estimated 595 new jobs during the construction period. That's pretty amazing. They think even the initial stages would create 370 jobs regionally. Now, that is an area where people may be able to uh, reskill or move across from areas where they have been affected by the downturn in COVID. So this is um, something we'll have to keep an eye on to see if indeed uh, that becomes something which can be uh, fast-tracked and moved ahead. So we're going to stop now just for a little bit of music. Uh, This is Sia with Chandelier. You're here on NPR Manawatu People's Radio. When will I learn? I push it down, I push it down I'm the one for a good time call, phone's blowing up Bring on my doorbell, I feel the love, I feel the love Listening to Property Matters here on NPR. That was Sia with Chandelier. You're listening to Greg Watson here on Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irarangi o Nga Tangata o Manawatu. So before the break, we were uh, talking about uh, a number of things, developments and so forth. And this year, uh, this, uh, this year, well, it is this year, I guess. This uh, next segment, we're just going to talk about what's been happening a bit in terms of renting and a few landlord stories. So I'm just rustling through my pages here because there's one. 
that I thought I'd mention about how the, and this was on interest.co.nz, and it's the average rent in New Zealand is up $43 a week in the September year. So slightly old, but it's still good to look at this information. So the average residential rents across New Zealand increased $43 a week between the 2020 September quarter and the September quarter this year, according to the latest analysis of bond data by Interest New Zealand. It shows that the average rent in September last year was four fifty three a week, but by September this year was four ninety seven. That's a nine point seven percent increase over a twelve month period. So, if you're a landlord and you haven't put your rents up yet, you know you may be falling behind the market. So those figures are for all housing types and will mainly be for newly tenanted properties. In dollar terms, the rental growth was the weakest in Dunedin, where the average is up by just two dollars a week. Uh, for the year and in parts of the Wellington region with rents declining between $2 and $8 a week on the Kapiti Coast and in Paurua in the Upper Hutt. The biggest jumps in rents were in Papakura in Franklin and Auckland South and Tauranga in Hastings which had increases of more than $70 per week. So what's happening near us uh, you might be asking as this is recorded in Palmerston North the average weekly rent has increased by 15% in the last 12 months that's $60 uh, per week. So that means that the average household, if we multiply that, let's do some rough maths, Five thousand, uh, 52 uh, weeks, $60 a week, that's uh, yeah, around the $3,120 more that tenants are paying on average now compared to a year ago, $3,000. That's uh, $60 a week. Uh, Wanganui, the average weekly rent is up to three ninety seven. And that's up $43 or a 12.3% change. So really uh, quite pretty big increases there, relatively speaking. And this article goes through a number of other examples as well. So hard hard going if, if you're renting, if, if your rents are up, going up in line with the market. The other thing, of course, is if you've got uh, nice landlords who are renting a property to you somewhat under market rent, and then if the house changes hands or... Uh, something along those lines, or you need, or the house sells, you need to find another one as tenants. You're leaving what were some relatively low rents going into higher rents. It's pretty hard to get a property that has anywhere near what you previously might have had. So we're seeing that there's not a lot of movement around at the moment. People staying put in terms of tenants, and uh, as those increases come out or increases that are uh, are happening, really it's across the market. And so there really isn't uh, too much choice, unfortunately, out there if people were to have a change. Now, some things that are out there that shouldn't be is in this week's Bad Landlord, Bad Tenant section. And this from Amy Wright out on Stuff. We've featured this lady before, Nelson Property Manager Annabelle Black. So mould, holes in walls and a puzzle used to fix a window, another fine for a notorious Nelson Landlord. So the rundown rental property with holes in the walls, mould and a puzzle used to patch a broken window pane has been described as unacceptable in a tenancy tribunal ruling. The tenancy was managed by property manager Annabelle Black, who still owes the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment $12,000 for 22 breaches of the Residential Tenancies Act. Black, who managed this property in Nelson under her company Urban Property Nelson, did not attend the hearing. However, her tenants did, armed with photos and evidence from a pre-hearing site visit. The ruling described a 28-week tenancy 
just over six months, fraught with problems from day one. The tenants who were granted name suppression by the tribunal under new tenancy rules found the home in poor repair, dirty with extensive rubbish. The property was in need of more than a spring clean. The report outlined structural problems, trip hazards, holes in doors, damage to walls, broken electrical sockets, evidence of pests, and the use of a puzzle to cover a missing window pane in the front door. Oh dear. So that was a laugh, as in it's not funny, it's like so hard to believe. So the uh, tenants had partial use of the oven after elements exploded. In the bathroom, the sink and shower wall were loose. The toilet seat broke through normal use and was never replaced, and the tenants reported that mould in the bathroom affected their health. The back door lock had fallen out during the tenancy, and for an extended period, the tenants couldn't secure the door. Even having regard to the age and character of the premises as required by legislation, I find the premises were unacceptable, the tribunal adjudicator noted. In May, the tenants issued Black with a 14-day notice to remedy many problems in the property. 13 days later, she gave them a notice to terminate, telling them she would be carrying out work at the property. However, the property's ownership has since changed and Black no longer manages the property. So the tribunal awarded the tenants $2,660 in return of their bond, uh, and a month later, according to staff, this has not been paid. An MB spokeswoman, that's the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, spokeswoman confirmed they're still waiting for payment too. I can confirm Annabelle Black has not paid anything and MB Building and Tenancy is actively pursuing payment through legal process. Just incredible what uh, people, landlords, try to get away with. And she's trying to pass herself off as a property manager. The sooner that the property management industry is regulated, the better. This article stuck out to me because this next one because of the photo. And it said, Bed in a Garage. Auckland property listing slammed by an MP. And this is uh, in early December, an article by Adam Jacobson on stuff. So an Auckland rental ad showing a bed in a garage, I'm laughing because I'm just looking at the picture and it's unbelievable, has been slammed by an MP and renters union. So posted to a West Auckland Facebook group looking for flatmates, images showed a bed directly next to a silver sedan in a garage. There's also like a pot plant and a little wooden chair. Uh, so... It was unclear what price the landlord was seeking. When approached for stuff for comment, the landlord immediately hung up. They've since posted another listing for $225 a week, showing different images of the inside of what appears to be the same property. Renters United spokesman Geordie Rogers said the Teata 2 listing was an unfortunate reality of the rental market. He said there were many people across Aotearoa living in similar circumstances. It's pretty likely that a property like this would be rented out if it was under a flatmate situation, Rogers said, because uh, bearing in mind they talk about the landlord here, but it could just be flatmates trying to find somebody without the landlord even knowing. But the advertisement was a clear symptom of the market, he said. It comes down to the fact that there aren't enough homes for people, and when there aren't enough homes for people, those who have access to those homes get to decide where and how people can live. Adverts for unsuitable accommodation were becoming more common, with listings cropping up every two weeks, he said. Now I'll just interject there slightly and just mention that again there have been uh, tenancy law changes um, in reasonably recent history that have meant that landlords cannot rent out areas that are not uh, intended to be used uh, like a a garage or something like that for uh, sleeping and and those sorts of things. So one would assume, but uh, you know, assumptions can be wrong. One would assume that it's not the landlord that's advertising this but rather uh, some flatmates. 
Auckland Central and Green Party MP Chloe Swarbrick described the advertisement as cooked. Most young Aucklanders, strange, you wouldn't be particularly shocked given the state of the housing that many of us have lived in, Swarbrick said. Living situations like this would not be fixed unless there was a seismic shift around the renting rules and standards. Well, that would be good if they can do something. Rogers said it would depend on the specific rental agreement as to whether the garage constituted a legal dwelling. It was very unlikely a garage would meet the building code laws and be considered a bedroom if it was signed under an obligated tenancy contract, he said. However, the case is actually different if there's a private agreement between flatmates. And that's where there's a lot of abuse in the market around that flatmate situation. That's where people get away with properties like this. And that's where we see the most overcrowding and properties as well. We have people who wouldn't normally be living in a room together sharing bunk beds or something similar just to make the rent more affordable, Rogers said. Swarbrick's had a landlord register and rental warrant and fitness system, system were urgently needed. But again, uh, in this case, it looks like it's not landlords, it looks like it's flatmates. So we'll just have to see how that goes. And landlords haven't been uh, particularly happy either because this article by Miriam Bell and stuff says landlords hot under the collar after modern homes fail to meet the heating standard. So a modern home built to code last year shouldn't be expected to fail the healthy home standards, but many have because of a change in heating requirements that landlords say have put them out of pocket. Property manager Leon Choi from A-Grade Rental Homes said one example on his books was a 160 metre Square metre, sorry, two-storey, four-bedroom townhouse that was built in 2020. Under the heating standard, there must be one or more fixed heaters to directly heat the main living room to the minimum heating capacity required. Choice said going by the government's heating standard assessment tool, the output required was 9.4 kilowatts, but the heat pump installed had a 5.8 kilowatt output. So that means there's a shortfall, and the only option is to replace the existing heat pump or top it up with another one with an output of more than 3.6 kilowatts. In other words, the building code says the heating is fine, but Healthy Homes does not. So he says it would cost the landlord over $2,000 to change that. Under the regulations, the landlord could not top up using an electric heater or another cheaper solution according to the regulations. But the tenant will probably never use both heat pumps in such a small living area. It's uneconomical, it's not environmentally friendly for normal usage and the requirement is unreasonable and unrealistic. And landlords have run into this problem uh, and, I, and I know many who have had to spend money to ensure their rentals meet the heating requirements under the healthy home standards. And now, many of those landlords where they've got modern homes have found out that was, might not be necessary after all because the government announced last week the heating requirements would be changed for new homes built to the 2008 building code requirements for insulation and glazing and for flats. So that's a, a shocker for those people that have had to go out and spend that money. I don't think the government will be giving that money back to them. Um, and that's where there's going to be some uh, really quite unhappy people around that. So for those particular types of properties, the heating formula will be updated, uh, be possible to install smaller heaters and more flexibility for innovative energy efficiency technologies. So that's really uh, a bit of a thing there that uh, we've been seeing in the industry, in the property management industry, is many uh, failed reports on the heating in relatively new properties. So that will be remedied, unfortunate for those who have already put something in place. That's all we have available for uh, all we have for this week. And uh, thank you so much for listening to Property Matters here on NPR. I'm Greg Watson. You can find this wherever all good podcasts are found or on the website npr.nz. I'll talk to you again uh, next week. Support this show. 
and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.